adventure time. Come on, grab your friends. Yeah, Go to very <laughs> distant lands. Jake the dog and Finn the human. The fun will never end. It's adventure time. Hello, this is the Bayesian Conspiracy. I'm Ineash Brodsky. I'm Katrina Stanton. I'm Stephen Zuber. And with us is our guest, Patrick Chapin. And Patrick, uh, the reason you're here is because you are the person I know who is most into Go and can explain the AlphaGo stuff to us. And you also know a lot about AlphaGo itself. But introduce yourself as what you're, what you do, what your expertise is, that sort of thing. Uh, okay. My name is Patrick Chapin. I'm a game designer, uh, a professional card player, game player, I guess. And Which card game? I, primarily Magic the Gathering now. I used to be into uh, a number of other ones, including poker, but largely Magic the Gathering. Oh, man. Nerd alert. Hey, no. Absolutely. The first time I met him, uh, he said, I, I'm a card player. And right away, this was when the uh, poker player thing was really big. All the poker players were winning and giving all their money to EA. Um, well, not all of them, obviously. But there were a number of big EA uh, donations from poker players. And I was like, oh, oh, because, you know, it was at a less wrong meetup. He's probably one of those guys that plays poker professionally, donates, you know, three-fourths of the money to to good uh, give well. Yeah, you would assume that. I would, because he said <laughs> card game. And, like, people who play Magic say I play Magic, as far as I've noticed. Uh, and sometimes then, like, it takes a little while to explain context. You were in a group of nerds, dude. Everyone there knows magic. Dude, I don't know. Okay. Don't know. Like, it was like a You say hour. magic, and they're like, oh, you gonna pull a rabbit out of your head? Ah. It was like an hour and a half later, and you were like, oh, wait, you played magic professionally and you won? OMG! So, it was kind of cool. Also, I'm sorry I interrupted you. Oh, but no, 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 no. Not, not card player, magic player. Much more prestigious in this particular circle of listeners. Uh, magic the Gathering Hall of Famer, actually, and two time. Loser in the finals of the world championships. Oh, wow. <laughs> You've made it further than most people do. Round of applause. Oh, wow. I can find the sound effects, too. We can do like a cheer. Oh, thank you. I'm the Academy. <laughs> <laughs> so, no, I, I also do video game stuff here in Denver, including a lot of work on AI for some of the video games we make. Fantastic. Any video games anyone might have heard of? Yeah. Unfortunately, oh, you can't talk shadow about death works. Gotcha. So. Okay, so we will. Uh, we'll but we got some coming soon that, that we can talk about. Eternal, uh, a, a uh, online card game that I'm really excited about. But uh, so sort of all over the place, but very passionate about about AI and uh, and games. Cool. Okay. Awesome. So, um, Patrick, we're just gonna throw you right into the fire. Do you want to explain the recent AlphaGo tournament and kind of give us a little bit of background there? Before we begin, um, the thing that uh, you, when you explained Go to me and why it was so difficult for computers to do, I was really, like, I have, I have almost no idea what Go is. I mean, I know, like, a few of the basic rules, but I've never played it. So tell me this whole thing about Go being <clears throat> probability distributions and not knowing how it's going to end until right near the end. Yeah, so Go has long been sort of uh, the final frontier of, uh, at the very least, um, perfect information games. Go is relatively simple. You just, like, for instance, the way they play, there's a 19 by 19 board, and then there's just each side only has one kind of piece. And there's very few rules to it. It's actually very, very simple, but the, the complexity of the game is so just uh, off the charts that for for the majority of time that people have had computers, it's always just sort of been thought that it might be impossible to have computers be good at the game. The, the combination, like the number of different possible board states and games of Go that you can play on just a 19 by 19 grid 
is uh, many hundreds of digits more than the number of different chess games you can meaningfully, or 40 move chess games you can meaningfully play. So it's, it's far, far, far too complex to brute force. And the strategy, so to speak, the, the, the way of thinking about Go is something that is very, very difficult to put into words for, or at least commands for a computer. It, Go is often described as a very intuitive game. And you have to sort of just have a sense of what moves to make and how it might turn out. And you don't know the, the consequences necessarily of your actions. You're kind of giving yourself better chances. Like you're creating class, like regions, areas where you have some chance of hopefully getting an advantage of some sort. And you have to be able to change what kind of an advantage you're going for. But it's, uh, it's, it's very hard for computers. How long was this a goal? for AI scientists? Well, 20 years ago, uh, the popular wisdom was that it was impossible to make a co-program that could ever beat a, a master level, like a, a high level uh, human. 10 years ago, people thought that uh, hopefully by 2050, we would have uh, technology that good. A year ago, I think people would have said that, you know, hopefully within 10 years. But uh, earlier this year was the first time that a Go program was able to actually defeat a high-level player. And from there, they set up a match against the 18-time titleist and world champion Lee Sedol, who uh, has been kind of the most iconic Go player uh, of the last many de- the last few decades. And that's the, the, the Alpha Go match that recently got a whole lot of buzz. So I guess this has been the holy grail since longer than people thought it was necessarily possible, but it really caught the world by surprise to suddenly be here or to have jumped this far ahead. And you mentioned that there's various clouds of probability across the board as to what's going to happen, and you have to juggle those, that it's really hard for even uh, a grandmaster to tell what the score is going to be, even as much as a few moves away from the end? Yeah, so the, yeah, I mean, it spirals into so many complex uh, trees of, of possibility. And it's so hard to know exactly how a region is going to turn out that, like, even the commentary for AlphaGo, um, one of the two commentators in the English stream is the best Western, the best Western Go player in the world. And him trying to evaluate the position and figure out, is this evenish? Is this slightly better for AlphaGo? Is this slightly better for Lisa Dahl? And by, you know, how much or how likely is it that this battle will work out for Lisa Dahl or AlphaGo? It's, it, there's a lot of judgment. It's got a lot more, people have sort of a feeling. Who are the creators of AlphaGo? So uh, AlphaGo is part of Alphabet. Uh, which is functionally Google. It's actually made by DeepMind, which is a company that Google acquired, like a company that's been doing AI research for a number of years that Google acquired a couple years ago. And one of the people in DeepMind pitched the idea um, of combining a few different types of AI systems, a few different types to to play Go. And this is this is actually the 49th, I believe, game that this system. I mean, you could say AlphaGo has played, but it, they, they only call the one that plays Go AlphaGo. But this system that they've been developing, this is the 49th game that it has learned. Wow. It's a general learning algorithm. It's not actually, they didn't teach any Go strategy. That's part of the crazy thing is that, yeah, they actually didn't teach it. That's the thing that, well, that's part of the thing that's so crazy about it is that it, 
has developed its own strategy and did not get strategic advice from the humans. I read that there are kind of three different processes, and um, you may be able to illuminate us on these, that they took towards teaching this computer, this program, Go. They gave it different tools. The strategy, so it's interesting, they trained it a number of ways. They, they gave it uh, a bunch of information for improving its, uh, un- for improving its understanding, but the actual strategy that it chooses isn't actually, uh, so I'll, I guess I'll walk through it a little. The first thing they did is they trained it to identify what humans would do in a given position. And they let it uh, look at the t- millions of games, basically just an enormous number of human games, tens of thousands of top-level games, and, and I'm not even sure how many other games, but they let it over and over and over again study sort of using the sort of technology that allows facial recognition software to learn when a picture has uh, a cat in it or not. I heard that called a neural network. Yes. Yeah. It has a neural network that is, a neural network is like a series of of computing systems that are hooked up sort of like brain cells. And uh, the neural network can be trained and can learn how to do things better and think about things better without you just directing it, without you just saying, this is how you should think about it. You know, like a traditional computing system, you just write out what the logic is. A neural network can be used to learn about something in a way that is, like you give it guidelines, but you don't know the way that it's going to end up thinking about it. And in this case, it learns to predict what a human would do by trying various strategies. Like there's lots of variations of AlphaGo that are slight mutants of each other that are, that some of them would predict slightly more this way, some would predict slightly more that way and have lots and lots of different combinations of ways they would interpret something. And then they let, over time, it's like a, a general, it's like a learning algorithm that gets better and better and better and they reproduce, like the ones that successfully guess, like the part, the, the brain cells that successfully guess what a human would do, are rewarded and get to reproduce more. And over time, AlphaGo became substantially better at guessing what humans would do than any other program has ever been just from the amount that they have given it to work with. Now, you mentioned uh, something about there's two neural networks that work together. So there's actually, <laughs> the, there's uh, there's two main AI systems that it uses. One is the neural network that evaluates a board where it'll look at the game, the, the state of affairs right now, and predict what the human would do. But there's a different part of it that predicts like the probability of winning based on like what it's learned about games. But that whole system that just evaluates board positions is only one of the two AIs. And they're actually different AI systems that continually message back and forth uh, with each other over and over and over again. The other one is the policy. Uh, the, it sets the policy, like what moves the computer will make, and it will suggest a variety of moves. You know, like one of the, the, the baseline is sort of whatever the human would do is sort of believed to be the starting point. Like if a human would do this half the time, then you should, and that's the, the highest percentage move, then that's your starting point of you is should assume that this is what you should do. Because in general, the computer just assumes that humans are right but then it tries uh, a variety of experimentation. It'll try, uh, like it'll pick a random move that it thinks a human would make, and then it'll pick a move that it thinks a human would make from the other position, and just go back and forth, giving a, doing a probability distribution of how likely of a move it thinks it is. And then it plays the game all the way to the end, which takes like, you know, 
Microsecond. Yeah, a few milliseconds, and uh, and then it rates that and tries over and over and over again and continues to have the the games that it plays in its head inform the its evaluation of the board. And each time its evaluation of the board changes, that helps inform which new games to play in the future. And it does this back and forth tens of thousands of times in a matter of seconds and decides what move to make. Sounds like some pretty beastly calculations. So how much processing power is behind that? Uh, AlphaGo actually uses thousands of CPUs. Uh, I'm not sure how much the processing power adds up uh, to total, but it's a little over 2,000. Like it's, it's very, 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 uh, a lot of power. And actually part of AlphaGo, t- uh, their team's theory behind it, they eventually found that they could improve AlphaGo's ELO as a function of how much more processing power they give AlphaGo. And it starts scaling very dramatically. Like you have to increase the amount of processing power it takes to get the next hundred ELO points is much larger than the previous hundred. So it actually scales up in kind of a funny way. What does that mean um, for people who don't really know what CPUs are? What does that mean in terms of like space? And just to clarify, ELO is a ranking of how well you play. Yeah, the uh, so the processing power for this, think of it as like um, thousands of really strong computers and a couple big rooms full of just computers. So it's definitely the type of thing that it isn't super uh, practical to just download to your laptop. So you mean like one of those 1960s calculators that was you know that would take <laughs> yes. up a giant room right yes it's so, almost as powerful as your smartphone as, <laughs> as far as the uh the elo rating and the number of cpus there's a nice uh, little graph on the wikipedia page for AlphaGo, which will be linked to in the episode description on the website we love wikipedia it's great oh yeah we defended wikipedia a few weeks ago Wikipedia is great. You know, they're actually <laughs> largely dominated by three different AI systems that are continually scouring themselves looking for... I had no clue. Actually, it's a self-learning algorithm because what happens is they, when it tries to predict, oh, somebody just vandalized something, mm-hmm. and then you, the human says, you were right or you were wrong, and the algorithm learns over time how to predict what is vandalism or not, and they've gotten extremely good. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. Just take take that, Wikipedia critics. Wikipedia. Yeah. <laughs> So, uh, is there anything else you want to cover for Groundwork, or should we dive into the games? Uh, I guess the biggest thing that's important to know for this new match is that the match uh, a couple months ago where AlphaGo, an earlier version of AlphaGo, played against uh, a former European champion, the that player is... He, so, he's very good, but he's... Hold on. Let's give the thing a few seconds. Your point. Uh, the match a couple months ago against the former European champion. He's a great player, but he's uh, several ranks lower. He's a substantially less strong player than Lee Sedol. He's ELO's lower? Yeah, like, uh, let's put it this way. If the two of them were to play, he would get uh, several stone. He would get a handicap of several stones. He would get several moves in a row as a just an advantage to try to make it more fair because Go is an extremely skill testing game. So somebody who's a stronger player can require uh, they can overcome a great disadvantage in the game. Um, someone told me that time is important in Go games. That the different moves are timed. That that impacts your score. How does that work? So uh, the, the, the rules they were playing under, uh, the Chinese rules, I guess, you uh, each person has two hours of clock time. And whenever it's their turn, their clock is going down. 
And when they run out of time, they now have one move. Uh, I'm sorry, one minute per move. And uh, they also have three overtime periods. So they can basically, they can go over three times. They get three bonus minutes. But then you, if you ever run out of time, you just lose. Does that automatically benefit a computer player? Uh, one might think. I mean, the computer never misses its move and uh, always takes uh, enough, like, takes however much time it has available or that it thinks is a good idea to do. And uh, it always makes the perfect amount based on uh, what it thinks. But uh, as we may find out, humans have a way of, there's a little bit of human ingenuity that not every computer is ready for. Uh, so yeah, the match a couple months ago was 5-0 in favor of AlphaGo. And this was right on the heels of AlphaGo defeating the best Go computers in the world, 499 to one. And uh, they actually ran it back, it was 500-0 the next time. But played against the European champion, defeated him 5-0, and people analyzing the game afterwards were impressed that a Go program could be this good. But they were not impressed compared to world-class players. And going into the match against Lisa Dahl, many of the top Go players predicted that uh, it would be a landslide. That it would be uh, that there was at least a 95% chance that Lisa Dahl would win. And when they asked Lisa Dahl actually before the match, his prediction, he said it would be a landslide. He would win 5-0, 4-1 at most. Sounds like they need some more practice assigning probabilities to their beliefs. How did, how did Lisa Dahl's uh, predictions update after well, being no, crushed? AlphaGo got a lot better in the meantime. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Practicing. Google tried telling him that it got a lot better, but I think he had a, a sort of anchoring bias of how much could a human possibly improve in sure. that amount of time. Mm-hmm. And he did not take into consideration that it's not learning at the same rate as humans. That- Fortun- is that, interestingly, uh, from what I saw, the less wrong community was substantially... Uh, more accurate with regards to their predictions of how things would go. Now, they were, they did not necessarily nail it exactly, but I think that their market was much better. As far as I know, the, what I saw, it was much closer to uh, uh, a 55-45 or 50-50, where um, there was a lot more benefit of the doubt given that Google would not be setting this up if AlphaGo wasn't ready. Let's go into game one, when everyone was still thinking that this was going to be an even even fight. Uh, no, well, not everyone. The yeah. less wrong community, the humans, many of the humans thought it was going to be a landslide for the humans. <laughs> game one, Lisa Dahl attempt, uh, used a slightly exploitive strategy. There's ways that you can play against computer programs in many games to get an advantage because of things that the computers are notoriously bad at understanding. And he took a strat. He, he made a couple moves, uh, one move in particular early on that... It was fine. It wasn't like it was a bad move. It was just uh, not a move that you would normally make against another world-class player. But he wanted to just punish the AI because no computer programs could ever normally be good at this sort of thing. The uh, the end result was that they played a long, drawn-out game in which uh, AlphaGo played extremely impressively throughout. And eventually that minor weakness early on ended up causing him to to lose. Lisa Dahl actually was defeated by AlphaGo. But the match itself was uh, very deceptive with regards to AlphaGo's true capabilities because even though it won, it won by a tiny margin and it made a number of plays near the end of the game that a number of people watching thought were evidence that AlphaGo isn't actually very good. It was making these weak plays. But in reality, AlphaGo doesn't care about the margin that it wins. And once it's actually seen a path, it will be content with whatever. It just wants to maximize its chances of winning, not its margin of victory. So instead of going for one more point to increase the margin, it will get it down to as you know little as possible if that will give it just 
0.01% greater chance of winning in the end. That reminds me of that Star Trek episode that I saw a clip of, the old school Star Trek, where Spock and Kirk are playing chess, and Spock wins. Or excuse me, no, Kirk wins. And Spock's like, oh, I forgot to take into account that you were that you would be irrational and stuff during the game. And it's like, it's not irrational if I won. And, you, you know, so that's that's where it is with AlphaGo. You're right. Like, it doesn't care. It's like, I won. I don't, it doesn't matter how big of the Gosh, margin Spock. it was. Yeah. yeah. We'll, 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 we'll talk about Spock at length later. But I didn't watch any of the games. I'm planning on it. Maybe once I get some more background on, I've only played like two or three games of Go in my life. But the, uh, I did read a lot of the commentary post per game. And everybody was saying, yeah, after game one, like, oh, yeah. Lee's got this next time, no problem. Uh, absolutely. The, the the popular wisdom, I guess, was there's no question this program has improved a lot. It's gonna you can't underestimate it. Lee Sedal's problem was that he underestimated it. He also didn't play his best game ever. He was just coming off of uh, another match and he didn't have the full amount of rest. And there was every bit of making excuses and every bit of well, Lee's just gonna tighten up his game. He's gonna play a much more you know he's gonna take the things he's learned. And they actually asked Lee Sedal after the game. What is your prediction of the match now? Mm-hmm. And he said that AlphaGo has, it's incredible. He's very, very impressed. AlphaGo has improved a great deal. However, he will beat AlphaGo most likely. His hope is that, he says that he thinks it'll be about, you know, he said about 50 50 at this point, now that he's down a game. And they're playing best three out of five yeah. mm-hmm. for a million dollars. And uh, Elise Adal is getting 150K just for playing and then 20K for each win. And uh, in game two, Game two rolls around. Uh, this time, the rules are switched. And to give an idea of um, in, in Go, whoever goes uh, whoever goes first, the way that they're playing, actually has to make up a seven and a half point handicap because of just how strong an advantage going first is. However, because of the seven and a half point handicap, going first is actually slightly worse. For like the, the seven, like seven points would be too much. Seven and a half is too much the other way. Mm-hmm. So it ends up just being like a tiny edge for whoever is uh, whoever is going second. But um, in, in the second game, AlphaGo went first. In the second, uh, in the second game, uh, AlphaGo is playing the slightly weaker position. Okay. And uh, they play out their game, and in move thirty-seven, just, basically, just to be clear, the slightly weaker position being AlphaGo went first. Yes. Okay. Yes, and the burden is on whoever goes first to generate action. Like whoever goes first has to make up this disadvantage, and so there's a little bit of pressure on them to make things happen. Move thirty-seven, like this is that is the moment that I mean that I, I feel like the number thirty-seven with regards to AI is going to be uh, significant for years to come uh, because of move thirty-seven here, but. Move 37 was the least human move, like a move that was so inhuman that it, 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 it shocked the Go community watching. It was the sort of move that 14-year-old Go players know not to make. I, I, I heard that Lee got up and walked out of the room and spent like 15 minutes trying to figure out what the hell just happened. Well, I mean, at first he was just in shock, and then he ended up running to the restroom. And I don't know, they said he was just washing his face and trying to get his composure, you know, like... Like, it was just sort of a, I don't know what's going on. How Nobody would ever make this move. And in fact, AlphaGo said that there is a less than one ten thousand chance that a human would make the move, which it takes an enormous amount of evidence to make AlphaGo want to overcome that bias. However, it was very confident that it had a better move and that humans would not make it normally, but it thought it was better. And part of the way that AlphaGo evaluates these things is that it plays 
Uh, it does Markov simulations over and over and over again, where it'll play out the game with many, many different possibilities and then average them together over time to try to get an understanding of the position. It, you know, in this case, found uh, a path that it was confident was better than what humans would do. And it knew that the human, you know, they knew just looking at the readout, oh, they're going to be... And you can actually see the guy, the one of the uh, the Google people who was there making the moves who's a very high, a very strong Go player in his own right, the the wry smile on his face when he made the move. And actually the commentators watching were just like sure that this was a mistake. Like in some way where they were just like, what? I remember since none of us had this information at the time, uh, I, I was like on a 15, 20 minute delay. But when I heard about it, that's when I first uh, texted you. And I was like, so is this a glitch in AlphaGo? <laughs> did they just bug out on us? Like no one knew. They couldn't say at the time. And over the course of the next, you know, for the next hour or so, people were convinced, well, this is evidence that AlphaGo is not actually that good. See? See, Lisa all is going to win for sure. And then over time, it was like, well, based on our sort of heuristics, our sort of evaluations of the board, it seems like Lisa Dahl's winning, but it's really confusing. And then it started seeming like he was winning by smaller amounts. And eventually they're just, you know, they're asking the guy to, to you know, kind of score like what does it look like the score is and he's like I I I don't know. I mean I mean I guess Lisa Dull's up by conventionally you'd say Lisa Dull's up by like twenty, but like there's this, 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 this there's a bunch of different areas that are very confusing and unresolved and so depending on how they turn out and it's just very strange. You know, I think at one point he actually mentioned if AlphaGo actually wins this it is over for, I mean, it's like, there's no way that this can be, like, if this is Go strategy, then I don't even know Go strategy. I, I remember a lesser on commenter saying that uh, this may be evidence, after after the win happened, this may be evidence that humans just can't play against machines. It's not a, a the same level of thinking. Yeah, like, this is the one where it's like, if this is actually a winning line, then I don't know that there are any good human Go players. Like, I mean, it's like, so long time later, eventually it becomes clear AlphaGo is going to grind out a small advantage. And he even made some slack moves, some moves that seemed weak, like in that earlier game, that were actually just evidence. You know, at one point it was like, see, maybe this means that AlphaGo is just off its rocker. And the other guy's like, no, actually, this that's evidence that AlphaGo has already won. <laughs> and uh, the the end result was Lee being defeated by by this very strange position and with a move that no human has ever made. I mean, nobody could see that. I mean, it was just so bizarre. It's actually very, very strategically sound. It's just so, like, the humans making new moves will often build on variations of patterns in previous games and try minor experimentation. This was so different of a way than humans would normally play that humans is very unlikely that a human would just try going down this path because it's so unusual so unlike any previous patterns and after game two they asked Lisa Dahl what is your prediction of the match now and he said it is my greatest hope to win a game <laughs> can we fast forward to game four, four. Absolutely. Well, does game three have anything? Does game three have anything? I was I was really eager to hear about game four too, but I want to. <laughs> was game three have, have yeah, a lot so of highlights? Let's do, let's do game three too. Yeah. No. Okay. Uh, yeah. So uh, game three, uh, and I'll make it more brief. I apologize for rambling on. It's no, no. This, AlphaGo is a hero of mine. I I am intensely interested. Uh, game three. Lee Siddall actually just played a very, very, like, to his strengths and played a very 
I'm not going to try anything crazy. I'm going to play a good, disciplined game. I'm going to, and he tried steering Alpha Go in a direction that was um, the sort of going towards the very, very nebulous situations where it's just too hard to calculate what the end result is. How does AlphaGo do in a situation where AlphaGo has no chance of being able to brute force? And AlphaGo just played a remarkable game that was, uh, it just seemed like, despite the fact that Lisa had all played a nearly flawless game, like just an absolutely incredible level game, he still lost, and it was like afterwards they asked, they were like, so what, what did he do different? What should he have done different? Where was his wonder? And they're like, I don't even know that there's anything I'd point to that it's like I would do different in the future, but it just ended up in a bad spot. Like, how can you, how can you know? And it was, it was just, you know, and Lee was, Lee Sedol was devastated, but it was clear that um, the computer could in fact play from situations that require sort of an intuitive estimate of what it would look like. And uh, then we go to game four. So at that point, after game three, um, the computer had won. AlphaGo had won because it was the best three out of five situation. And that meant that how much prize money went to Google? Actually, Google donated the money either way, but they donated the million dollars to charity. Just a million dollars. Yeah, actually, one million and 40,000 or something. Uh, It's also 20K per game. Okay. And then uh, the last two games are just for 20K, but Lee Sedol is playing for pride. I mean, this is like, this is just blowing his mind. And he actually counseled with his teammates and friends who are some of the best Go players in the world to try to devise a strategy. They had a little bit of rest and, they, you know, they were trying to come up with how can they possibly do this? Like, how can they possibly uh, try to take a game off of AlphaGo? And he, he actually, game four was truly brilliant. He radically changed his strategy. He um, he actually did something that a world-class Go player often would not want to do, which is make the game very all or nothing. They, one of the things they realized is that you can't just grind out little advantages against AlphaGo. You eventually lose. And they tried to make it instead, let's just make it all or nothing where there's going to be one big battle and whoever wins that will just win decisively the match instead of having it be up in the air, which is a risky approach, but one that they thought might be given better chances. The uh, They also realized that AlphaGo takes the same amount of time, no matter how much time Lee Sedol uses. Actually, after he had already lost game three, he stayed playing for hours just with no clock, but just studying, or like trying to learn more about AlphaGo. And they realized, they theorized, I bet if you just use all your time early on, AlphaGo will not speed up. It'll still take two and a half minutes per move or whatever, and you can think during AlphaGo's turn. And so Lee Sedell actually used all of his clock, his two hours, he used it all up, including 35 minutes, his last 35 minutes, in the three moves prior to his master stroke in game four, where he wanted to be sure that he had thought about as much as possible on his clock. And then he knew that after he pulled off his this big trap that he had been setting, AlphaGo was going to have to reevaluate its whole understanding of the game. And he didn't want it to be doing that. You know, he wanted to use as much time to think beforehand and then think on AlphaGo's time. He set a trap that involved several pieces of the trap being many moves apart so that AlphaGo would not anticipate them uh, near each other, and he exploited, like he studied some actually about how Markov simulations work, and they studied a little bit on how to try to find weaknesses in the thought process of a computer that uses Markov simulations, and one of the things they realized is that if a move is near lots of really, really bad moves, if it's, 
if it's a long convoluted chain that is surrounded by lots of really bad things, it's possible that early on, you know, if the first thousand times it starts looking down this branch, it looks really bad. It stops looking down the branch very hard. And so if you make a long convoluted chain that involves lots of really bad decisions in the way, it can sometimes miss it. And he, he made a move that uh, one of the best Go players in the world described as the hand of God <laughs> making a move, move 78. And it was, it was I mean, it's, it's obviously somewhat hyperbolic, but it was actually from AlphaGo's estimate less than one in 10,000 chance that a human would make that move as well. It was actually as surprised. It was the most surprising thing that Lisa Dahl did in the match. And it was a move that was, it was off its scale. It was the, you know, where it could not imagine that a human would do this. And as soon as he did it, the people watching were just like, that's brilliant. They didn't know how it was going to end or where it was going to go, but they could tell you would not do this unless you were setting up this, this, this big plan. And it, uh, it looked like it might not, uh, it might, it looked, it's actually the next 10 moves after, it looked like AlphaGo is making blunders. What's going on? Why is AlphaGo making these slack moves? And they realized AlphaGo thinks it's winning by a lot. It's playing so conservative. It thinks it's winning. And then 10 moves later, suddenly AlphaGo's percentage chance of winning the game, according to itself, plummeted rapidly. And they're like, what happened? Why, how could it possibly have dropped that much that fast? Like, it went from like 70-something percent to like 28% or whatever. What happened? And AlphaGo said 10 moves ago that it blundered. It just didn't realize it. It didn't understand the position 10 moves ago. And it was too late now. And then it started playing desperate where it started doing crazy things to try to like the type of move that uh, if it works out, it would be a huge win. But it's never really going to work out. It's just too easy to see. Partly because it, it thought it was losing by so much that it started getting very, very desperate for what moves to make. But it also didn't take into consideration Lisa Dahl has no time on his clock. If the computer would have just been playing quickly, it would have, it, it very likely would have beat him actually very easily because it was a very complicated game that went on for over two hours with Lisa Dahl having no clock where he just was just having to just play. And it was like an incredible test of his constitution. But also the computer just not understanding that it shouldn't take the full amount of time every turn to think about its moves. Okay, so can the developers fix that and what caused the blunder in the first place? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they, they definitely could. It never even occurred to them to have AlphaGo change how much time that it takes based on the other person's clock. You know, AlphaGo, one of its flaws is that it always thinks that humans are making decisions at peak human level. Like it doesn't evaluate oh, you've been making some mistakes recently or you're in an emotional state where you might be compromised or you don't have any time on your clock. It actually just assumes that humans behave sort of like a machine. So on the chain of bad moves and the kind of traps that it laid, that, that at least it all made laid for uh, AlphaGo, is that the kind of trick that a human Go player of Lisa Dahl's level would have felt fallen for? Well, what Lisa Dahl did was a uh, a play that was brilliant at any level. I mean, it would be very, very difficult for a world like world class player if once they're in that position to to defend against. But the problem was that the AlphaGo actually started making crazy, risky moves against Lisa Dahl, and no world class player would fall for the things that AlphaGo was trying. AlphaGo just thought it's so desperate. Which should, uh, some humans sometimes fall for this, 
And so it's like, even though this is a small percentage chance, it has seen some humans would fall for this, but not least at all. Gotcha. Wow. But part of that was just that it thought, at first it thought that it's winning by so much that it can be just giving away edge because it's just playing conservatively, where it just wants to, it'd be willing to give up 10 points because it's like, oh, this gives me a 2% chance better of winning, but it just didn't understand the board position. And then later it thought, I'm losing by so much, I need to do crazy things to try to win. So AlphaGo is very much less good when it thinks it's winning by a lot or by a little and is wrong. That's real. I just want to quickly say, listening to you tell the story, it's hard not to to um, throw my hopes behind Lisa at all. And, you know, this is such a John Henry driving railroad ties story. Are they uh, called railroad ties? Yeah. 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 Where you just really want him to win against that steam powered tie driver. Um, but of so Lee won that fourth game. Can, can I go back to your question? Uh, when she asked uh, that, you know, if the human programmers could program around that. They're not going to change it in the middle of the match either. No, no, no. Obviously not in the middle of the match. But no, wouldn't, isn't that kind of, doesn't that feel like cheating? Like, isn't it something that you would want to make an AI that can recognize that and fix it on its own rather than humans having to come in and patch it? Uh, long term. Okay. But, um, you know, this is... This is just one more step along the way towards the... Uh, like, the, my real question isn't, can we patch the problem? The real question is, can we make an AI that can self-modify so that it sees this problem and fixes it? it? Yeah, it's not so much that we would patch the problem, because that's not how it operates. It's more of a, we would give it another access, that, another access that it can explore for determining how to fix itself. Because right now, it doesn't even have the ability to change that part of itself. But uh, absolutely, it needs to be able to do it. It's so unlikely that a human could just predict the right amount, the right patch, so to speak. It's just much better to let the neural network build its own patch. The uh, the fourth game, though, was crazy because for like an hour, it, an hour and a half, it's like, okay, Lee Sedol is definitely winning. He has this game locked up and the computer is doing crazy, ridiculous, awful things. Lee Sedol has to have the game won. And the other guy's like, you saw what happened before. We thought it was crazy. This has to just be some genius masterstroke. He's like, there's no way. There's no way. There's no way. He would never. This is just horrible. And then at the very end, eventually AlphaGo resigns. If AlphaGo's probability of winning drops to a very to a to a low level, it can it resigns because it just starts playing more and more embarrassingly. And they're just like, let's just get it over with. But um, it's below twenty percent. I read. Yes, but it's also kind of a weird. 20% because it's 20% among humans and it starts to spiral out of control because as we've seen when AlphaGo thinks it's losing it starts becoming more and more desperate because its only goal is to maximize winning not avoiding looking foolish and uh, so after game four the fact that he actually won you know it was it was it, it, he's already a national hero in South Korea anyway but this was like this is like this great redeeming moment and actually he had in uh in game five, it, it, he could have had the, the privilege of, of the slightly better position, but he actually requested the, to play black because he had already won. The, the one he won, he won with white, and he wanted to, uh, he actually asked Google if it would be all right if he played from the black side uh, because, you know, basically just as a sort of pride, like I want to try a chance. Partly, AlphaGo is better from the white side, 
they realized. Is that a start side? Which yeah, side is sorry. the start side? So black goes first. Got it. So it's at a slight disadvantage. Yeah, it has to make up a seven and a half point handicap. And it is at a slight disadvantage, but also AlphaGo exacerbates this. Like, AlphaGo is very good at defending. And so they played the fifth game. And the most remarkable thing about the fifth game, because there was a question watching it, is is Lease at all just going to demonstrate the loop? Like, is, has he gone, is he just unbeatable now? Is he just going to beat the computer? Or was he lucky? And uh, Lee Sedol immediately adopted a very, very aggressive attacking position and took lots of territory all over because after analyzing the fourth game, he realized AlphaGo has a weakness in understanding when, like, when you take lots and lots of territory all over the board, it it loses track of, like, it doesn't have a great understanding. It doesn't have as good of an understanding in, and this this is not the kind of game that Lee Sedol would want to play normally, but he can play any style. And uh, in the early game, it seemed as though he was just routing AlphaGo. They were actually wondering if AlphaGo was going to resign because he it looked like Lee Sedol was winning by so much. Now, AlphaGo actually did not believe that it was losing by as much as the humans watching believed that it was, but it thought that it was losing pretty clearly. And uh, it would, But it's one of those Lee Sedol's plan worked marvelously. He gave himself a 60-40 edge. And in the end, AlphaGo got its 40% and got there. Because even if you pull off the 60-40 edge, it doesn't mean you've won. It means you are 60% to win. So in the end, 4-1 in favor of AlphaGo. And that one may be the only one ever that AlphaGo loses because... I got a feeling that when it plays against Gu Li in the the best Chinese player in the future, which I assume will be the next match they set up, I do not think AlphaGo is taking any losses. So do there's a lot to process. I'm trying to uh, <laughs> to get to the, I guess the next way to look at this. So are they is Google going to go and do any revamping whatsoever or any yeah. any any? So when is the any they don't time. have it scheduled or announced yet. Okay, so they've got some time to to make sure that's not vulnerable to the same maneuvers that Lisa Dahl was utilizing. It's not so much that they're making sure that it's not vulnerable. It's more of a they've learned lots of new places to let the neural network be able to explore and try new things. And uh, additionally, it's going to be thinking about the game more. AlphaGo gets better all of the time. Like it it thinks about the game a lot. And part of that involves playing millions and millions. I mean, it's only played about one human lifetime worth of games against opponents, but it plays against itself in its head a lot. It has literally nothing else to do. (laughs) It has very, very little else. Once in a while, it'll do an exhibition against the world champ, but it mostly just thinks about Go. Why are we having AI systems play games? Why is that really important to be happening now? So AlphaGo is a general learning algorithm. It wasn't designed to play Go. It was just designed to learn and think. And that's part of what's so fascinating about it is that, like, for instance, one of some of the previous games that AlphaGo learned, AlphaGo learned how to play Pong. Uh, the, the DeepMind learned how to play Pong, and it's just the best Pong player in the world which is kind of bizarre to watch it play because it doesn't play like a human would. Uh, it, uh, they, they had it look at every YouTube video on the internet and identify which ones have cats, which ones have humans, and what are all the cats and what are all the humans. And uh, it's kind of crazy 
the the amount that this same system is learning how to think about things like it's figuring out how to make relationships between things it's a very intuitive program uh, it's, I mean, it's properly described as intuitive, and some have described it as empathetic. It's continually trying to understand the worldview of the other actor. Like, what are their values? What are they going to do? What are they? And uh, the hope is that this can be used in any number, in basically every other area. Everything from, like, uh, optimizing street lights to where to investigate for medical advances to where to drill for oil to how to efficiently move resources around to where to build a new power plant. Basically just things that people think about. The hope is that uh, systems like this will be able to think about them better than a human would be able to and uh, accomplish these tasks better. You know, like it would be great if like as good as like if AlphaGo is better at Go than any human in the world, that's great for winning at Go. But imagine if we had something that was that much better than any human in the world at uh, figuring out what combinations of, of chemicals to put together in order to cure some disease or how to lay out a city so that there would be less traffic or you know anything like that. Or how to do accounting really well. Absolutely. So why Your is it playing? <laughs> that, that was going to be my next question. How much longer till we're all unemployed? Uh, unemployed is kind of an interesting thing. I mean, sometimes when you don't have to, like, carry the heavy load yourself, you're a little bit more free. Like, is it that you're unemployed if they don't need you to drag the plow across the field, that the robot does it for you, and then you get to spend your time recording podcasts? Why are we, why are we so concerned about this computer playing Go when we could be more concerned about it taking Inuyasha's job and doing accounting, which <laughs> might be, which would be significantly more useful. Sorry, Inuyasha. No, it's true. Uh, I wouldn't be, see, I don't know. It depends. I think different people are concerned about different things. I would guess he's more concerned about his job being taken, <laughs> but I think that the big thing is the, uh, this AI is a big step forward for, um, I think super AI is the real, like the, the the real thing on the horizon, but there's also just some of the AI systems. Like recently, um, it was revealed that there's an AI system called Skynet mm -hmm. that evaluates people and determines things like who the drones should go after. So it's it's really important to know the state of affairs of where AI is and what we can do to improve it because one way or the other. AIs are continuing to get built and will be stronger and stronger in the future. Would it be fair to say that we're not at a place quite yet? We're at a place where um, Go can be beaten, human Go players can be beaten by AI, but human accountants cannot be replaced by AI yet? Oh, yeah. That I mean, we don't have that technology, that, that Go is kind of at a different level. If we did, I wouldn't have a job right now. Not necessarily. A big, a big important thing here is the difference between uh, perfect information games and hidden information games. Accounting, funny enough, is sort of a hidden information game. <laughs> and uh, Go is sort of the final frontier of perfect information, where it's just like, Okay, this is clearly computers are just better than humans at 
games where all the information is known, where there are there are concrete sets of moves. You can tell when the game is over. You know, when things involve hidden information and undefined uh, victory conditions and endpoints. That's there's a lot of rich area to explore in that area, and uh, well. AIs will continue to replace humans in different areas. It's hard to predict which ones are going to get replaced first. And I don't think that there's any reason to believe that accounting is next on the chopping block. So the trillion dollar question is how long until DeepMind or a similar AI program is better than any human at designing AIs? Well, in some ways, it already is. Like, well, so it DeepMind. I mean, the, the neural network is already uh, incomprehensible to humans. Like, why is AlphaGo making the decisions? Like, how is AlphaGo doing the things that it's doing? It's not clear. It's tried lots and lots of combinations. And there's like this sort of, it's almost like a tower function uh, that maybe maybe humans are higher up on the chain where the humans are still the ones who can unplug it and the humans are still the ones directing it. And maybe it's not too far in the future for when... AIs will be better at directing it than humans because um, already we have AIs are much better at than humans at making a specific type of AI. Like if the AI, you need to come up with some artificial intelligence for a particular thing. An AI is much better at figuring out how to do that thing in general for at least for perfect information systems. Now, when it comes to just making AIs in general, I think that when a computer is better and uh, has the direction, uh, at that point there isn't really there isn't that much game after that. Like all of the game is before that because at that point the die has kind of been cast. You mentioned uh, when we spoke about this a couple weeks ago that your estimate for the, the timeline of this dropped radically in the last couple of weeks. This is the first time that my. Uh, my, I guess if you could call it a, the, I, I think that the most likely scenario is that the AI will be in charge. The AI will be, there will be a super AI and it will functionally be God. And Sovereign. Yes. <laughs> Do a little callback. We did a, some homework to, to look up some of the, the technical de- definitions that Eliezer brought up in our last, uh, or I guess in episode three. And before yeah. you thought this wouldn't ever be a thing that could happen? Or? No, no, no. I thought it would be. But it's more of a, instead of uh, instead of you know by the end of twenty forty uh, the twenty forties maybe a little closer to the beginning or possibly even the late twenty thirties I don't know this is such a unexpected jump forward and the system that they've described is so widely applicable like so the 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 two different styles of like combining the neural network. You know, the combining deep learning with the the look ahead ability that it has, uh, I think that this is uh, really decreases my confidence that I can even meaningfully be able to predict when certain things are going to be unfolding because it's going to happen very, very radically and likely by surprise. I have a question for all of you. Okay. Are you frightened? I've always been frightened. Um... This moves my frightness up a little bit, but I guess that means I'm a little more frightened since then we have less time to uh, to figure out the friendly AI problem. 
you, I remember you were very pessimistic when we talked a few weeks no, ago. You no, were no, kind no. of pessimistic. I don't know if pessimistic is what I would say. I would say... You thought that we did not have enough time left now to do it. No, 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 that's not what I'm saying at all. No, no, no. I'm saying that there isn't a... I, I would say if you're describing... I mean, pessimistic is a funny word. Because I, like, I wouldn't even describe myself as frightened. I don't think there's a ton of utility in the fear. Okay. Uh, I would say <laughs> uh, perhaps motivated. Uh, I think that it is unlikely that one could stop there from being AI, like uh, from being a super AI eventually. I, I think that most likely the best way, if that's your only goal, the best way would be annihilation. But, but uh, I think realistically there's going to be uh, that there's going to be super AI. I, I, I don't know. I got to take the position though of just play to your outs. Like we have an opportunity right now to help shape things as best as possible. I also think that some of the factors that go into whatever that world is are so incomprehensible to us right now. I don't overly worry about it because it's very easy to imagine how scary the world might be, but I can't possibly evaluate the decisions that are being made in that world it's it's like looking in you know like an ant can't evaluate the the position like the decisions being made by humans in a meaningful way and uh instead i think that you kind of just when you're the ant you evaluate are you going to take this little kernel of corn back to the you know to the as, as people, though, um, we have the opportunity to affect policy. We mm -hmm. have the opportunity to sway the decisions that corporations make. And if more people maybe have their nervousness meter up a little bit more, that could pave the way for more research into friendly AI pre-super AI. I wanted to say from your initial question that my my anxiety level and my eagerness level both go up because well because there's a lot of ways that it could go wrong you know even even Most if of them. exactly <laughs> there, there, are, there, are, there are way more ways that can go bad than it can go right so my my thinking is that uh i guess i i, I personally don't like being left out of the loop even though that's that kind of has to happen of of even a a, a good future like, it's not going to consult me first. Uh, um, see, actually, that's one of the areas that I think that it is... We don't know enough to be so sure. I mean, how do you know that you're not going to be able to have an increased le level of awareness and understanding, like, for instance, being augmented by AI or having all of the... Like, think about how much knowledge you have access to now that you could not possibly have had access to 15, 20 years ago. Not only, you know growing up and having all the experiences you've had, but also the technology, the fact that you have a smartphone and can just get 99% of the world's knowledge at will. It's, I mean, like, it is fun to reflect on that anywhere that I have cell phone reception, I have access to more information than the president of the United States did 20 years ago. Absolutely. Right? More than existed. Yeah. yeah. I mean, like, so I, I, I think that if you just look at just how much power, how much knowledge, how much awareness and understanding you have at your disposal now there is no reason to think that, that there can't be futures in which you continue to increase your awareness and understanding and even if you don't at a certain point there's also the your children carry on like this, this is the philosophical thing that I wanted to ask you about because uh, I, I saw Hugh Howley who wrote the Wolf series was recently posting about 
how right now we are watching our baby AI grow. Yes. And every time she does something like beat a chess, a chess grandmaster or a go grandmaster, it's like, oh, look, she took another first step. This is so amazing. Why is it a baby girl? I saw the headline. I saw the headline. The, the buzz buzzwords headline. And, uh, I'm assuming because he thinks baby girls are cuter. Sorry, women. It's a baby boy from now on, just yeah. to be clear. How about just a baby? Why does AI have, have to be, be gendered? Because uh, ships are ships are girls. I, I think, <laughs> Whoa! So I think, we can talk about that another time. <laughs> aren't, isn't isn't that the thing? Aren't vessels ships named aren't after traditionally girls? Oh, good. Yes. Having having never or female, I guess. Right. Having having never been on a, that's a, a proper that's an sea vessel. Example of something sexist. See, I actually think that part of the reason really? why they default that way is the wanting to help uh, bias away from. Like, there's been a historical bias where. A lot of males will design systems or tech and just talk about it in very masculine language that is not as inclusive as would be useful. Or like ships, a lot of times they talk about it with um, with female pronouns and as female entities. Ah, uh, yes, like the like their race, like uh, for instance, describing uh, a. a their baby, their, you know, this is the thing I made, and speaking almost diminutively, right? I mean, right. I think he was trying to make it really cute, and so, you know, you, you call it a baby, humans are used to babies being gendered, so he was going to have to pick a pronoun. I don't want to derail this. <laughs> I really don't, I don't want to derail this conversation to be about, about gendering things and, um, things being biased in favor of gendering versus not so. Let's move on. <laughs> that aside. So, I, yeah, I wanted to ask about the whole children thing because there's a lot of um, a lot of thought along the lines of, well, this is the next thing we make. This is the next step uh, in, of life on Earth. And so these are like our children. But I personally do not really want to die ever. And so I don't want to become irrelevant either. So uh, are you okay with changing? Yeah, I'm totally okay with changing. But the, isn't there a theoretical limit to how much a human can change before they're not human anymore? Uh, I mean, are humans today humans the same way that cave people were? No, not not even a little bit. Is it okay? Like, even though the cave people might be really attached to the way that they were, yeah. it's pretty easy to imagine that it's better. Or humans now are better than the way that cave people were. A hundred thousand years ago. It is. It's really weird too. Just recently, I read an article about this tribe that doesn't have counting, like one of the few <laughs> in the world that still doesn't have counting. And you read about their way of life, and it's so bizarre. I literally felt like I was reading about a different species. I was like, I, I cannot empathize with these people as humans anymore. I empathize more with my pet dog because <laughs> they, it was, it was the most bizarre thing. And yeah, no, we, we are significantly different. And are we losing something? Can we even become a, a different thing and keep ourselves? Yes. I'm so, well, I just wanted to to give a quick two cents answer on that. That I'm yeah. thinking, if I were a a, a caveman from 140,000 years ago, and I could have it sufficiently explained, I probably couldn't have it sufficiently explained to me what it would be like to be a person in the 21st century. Yeah. But now, if I could, if I, as that person, I could grow up and to be that person for the 21st century, I would look back and say, I'm so glad. And now it's easy, having taken that perspective, I can imagine in some some future looking back and saying, I'm sure glad I, I, I changed. Yeah, but I think that may just be an accident of birth. Like, the caveman would be like, these people never go chase after game and throw spear. Instead, they sit in front of Glowbox and manipulate <laughs> pixels on a screen. Where is the glory in manipulating pixels on a screen when you can murder a mammoth, you know? 
But now I can shoot fireballs from my hands in Skyrim, so, you know. Pixel <laughs> <laughs> fireballs! You're not a wooden spear! Right, but in the future, the future, uh, it's like, you were so content to throw pixels on a screen, mm-hmm. in the future, you can literally just rearrange atoms in a solar system to build things and do things like work on problems that actually matter. Like, heat death of the universe. Yeah, but can we? Or is that something so beyond humans that only a something so alien that you don't even recognize it as human anymore can do? What, see, that's, I guess it ends up just being, who, what is the important thing? Like, who what, cares? Yeah, like, who cares? I don't, we're, we're all different one day to the next. Yeah. Um, I don't think it's very important that, that humans continue as, and I think that, well, that's, that might be overstating it. I mean, in the very long term. Yeah. Um, I think that's natural. If you want, if your argument is, oh, we're going to be losing something. No. We always, we always lose something through the history of the universe. There's always been change. I agree right? with you entirely. If I could change it's natural. into that. natural. No, if I could change into that, I'm totally okay with changing into that. I'm just worried there may be some level where my neurology cannot change anymore. So who do you think is in a better position to evaluate this? Well, assuming future <laughs> AIs than me, yeah, but there is, it's theoretically possible that I cannot be modified that much, right? Yeah, it's theoretically possible that you spontaneously combust. Oh, Who cares? Fine, okay. Right? Like, I mean. I mean, we care because we know you and like you. Yeah. But. Like, no, I meant like who cares is in, who cares about that tiny probability? Oh, yeah. Like, I'm talking like. Do you really you think, think it's a tiny probability, though? I'm saying that it's not, like, if you spontaneously combust. No, it's no, not that's like, obviously uh, no, my point is that if you, if you spontaneously combust, it's not like you're like, well, I shouldn't have let some of these atoms move in this place. No, you, you, no, there's nothing you could have done about it. But there's no way a human could think of move 37. Uh, that's not true in game four. He thought of move 78. Mm. Move 78 was as inhuman and as improbable as move 37. Way to bring that's it back. That's what makes it so brilliant. <laughs> that's what makes it so brilliant. Um, so I, for one, as a human, am very proud and excited about AI babies. <laughs> and I, and I'm happy to, um, hopefully they're going to grow up to be, be good and kind and wonderful. And I'm happy that they'll be taking over the world. But as long as we program them to be good and kind and wonderful. I, I really I, come around to this whole don't be evil thing. <laughs> That's a great, like, when you... Yeah, first you got to define evil for the machine, though. Uh, let it define itself. I, I'm, I'm worried about that. And as, as you should be. I totally agree with you, Inyash. Um, so to bring things kind of back, 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 back to rationality... It's a good place to go back to. <laughs> so we we are all members of Denver area less wrong, and um, we are broadcasting from Denver, Colorado. Just some back information, and we're very concerned with rationality. What is the connection between rationality and what Eniash and Stephen, you and I have been talking about on this podcast for the past few episodes, and AI? AIs are, if I can give a quick soundbite, the ultimate, ra- the ultimate rational agents. Uh, so where, where humans can be aspiring rational agents, we are still built with all of this weird ape programming that worked great for hunter-gatherers on the savannah, but doesn't work great for optimizing decision-making. And uh, AIs you can build from the ground up and not include all that baggage. 
I think the the main connection is that if we're going to eventually make some sort of superhuman thinking device, which will more or less become a god, uh, we want to design it so that it thinks well and so that it values the same things we do and that rationality were the first tools to try to explore, well, not the first tools, but they were a major step forward in trying to explore what makes thinking uh, how to codify thinking in a way that it can be programmed into a machine. Not just, you know, intuitive thinking, but actually breaking thinking down into math and probability distributions and how to make a machine learn it. That's a good explanation. Yeah, I mean, that's that's actually part of the brilliance of AlphaGo's system of thinking. It isn't just that it has a, a neural network that, that can evaluate these positions. It thinks about, like, it has an idea, you could say, Based on you know just let's roll, let's roll some dice based on what we think humans would do, play it all the way to the end, and see how that idea turned out, and continue to change its values as it thinks about the problem, change its values, and steer what sort of ideas it has based on what sort of positions is it getting to, and are we getting warmer or cooler? And in many ways, it's like when a human thinks about a problem and can feel like they're making progress, like moving closer to the answer, even when they don't have... It's not like a partial credit thing. It's like, uh, this is the right place to be thinking about. This is the right axis to be thinking about. You know what surprised me is all of this neural network and kind of natural, not natural, but artificial selection way of developing the artificial intelligence AlphaGo. I was kind of surprised that we used things that are already in place, evolution, brains, human brains. One of my favorite, uh, I guess, adventures with computing involving evolution is a microchip that is a self, like a, like a genetic algorithm. Like um, it improves itself over time for solving particular types of problems. And the people who were working on the chip as an experiment, they were trying a variety of ways to effectively stress test the uh, microchip and they gave it a problem that the human quote-unquote solution involved thousands of logic gates and they only gave it a hundred just to see what would happen if it were under these extreme conditions and it was effectively uh, when a sound is played if the computer powers up that's a success and if a different sound of a different frequency is played and the computer powers down that's a success and then uh, they just seeded it with 50 random combinations to see and then let it evolve over time where it would take different, uh, some of the combinations, some of the seeds and reproduce depending on the success and, uh, and continue to evolve and the microchip would just evolve itself. And over time, I mean, it took a while before the microchip was even like responding to stimulus, like real reliably. There was a lot of noise for a while, but, uh, eventually they get to a spot where the microchip is actually producing the correct answer more than 50% of the time up and more than 50% down. And they let it play more, you know, hundreds of, of generations, hundreds and hundreds of generations go by. And eventually, it's actually pretty consistently getting the right answer. And eventually, after some number of thousands, it stopped uh, meaningfully evolving at all. And they were just like, okay, well, let's take a look. It's done cooking. I can't believe it actually solved the problem. And they, they look under the hood. And, and then to that point, the guy leading the experiment was about ready to punch the other person working on the experiment for, for trolling him for like, why would you pull a prank like this on me? This is, this is not funny. 
and he assured him there was no prank. And the security cameras, in fact, affirmed there was nobody tampered with it. And he, he's like, this is this doesn't make sense. He looked down. First of all, I was only using 37 of the 100 logic gates. This doesn't even make sense. Second of all, 32 of them are, are in one corner where the power is. The other five are just in a circle in the opposite corner, not even plugged in. What in the world is going on? And the 32 over here involves two little loops in opposite directions of current and a few logic systems, but it's like, this is baffling. Nobody would ever make a, a microchip like this. This doesn't even, this is, this is nonsensical. And they looked and sure enough, it continued to work. And he tries as an experiment. He's like, okay, well, first of all, let's take these five out because they must've just grown some vestige that wasn't necessary as a, and instantly it didn't work. And they're like, how in the world? It's not even plugged in. So he puts it back and he tries sliding it over a little, it doesn't work. He's like, huh, what in the world? And so they're like, okay, well, clearly we're going to have to like, we're going to have to revise what it is we're, we're looking for here. It, it, it can't be anything that's possible. So we're going to need to start coming up with ideas that are impossible to try to describe this because, and apparently the, the, the theory they eventually came up, the, the, they came to is that when, like, so that when you have the power on, there is a magnetic current, there's an, a, the electricity going opposite ways creates a magnetic field. And when the sound plays, it vibrates the circle in the opposite corner, almost like a tuning fork or, I don't know, a human ear. And it, uh, it actually distorts the magnetic field in a way that causes what few logic gates are actually plugged in and doing anything logic gatey to power up or power down the computer in response to that change in the magnetic field. And this is a radical departure from how microchips are made by humans. I remember reading that same thing. And that was the it's reason extremely you effective. Yeah, you couldn't move it. it All right. Yeah, it was like literally optimized to that exact position relative to the computer on planet Earth. It was fantastic. That's awesome. The One of the things I wanted to ask, which I think you sufficiently answered... <laughs> Uh, Maybe we can expound on it for much, much longer. To, to, to anybody who, who listened to the whole episode, I'm glad I didn't ask this at the beginning. Uh, so I think an uninformed outsider could be like, so what? Deep Blue beat uh, Bobby Fischer at chess 20 years ago. Who cares? So why is this a bigger deal? But I think that's been sufficiently covered. But if you, if someone asked you that question and you were in an elevator, what would you say in 30 seconds? You, yeah, you have 30 seconds to tell them why Go is different than chess. Uh, 20 years ago, the best chess player of all time, or at least one of the best, Gary Kasparov, was defeated by Deep Blue, but it was a system in which humans taught the computer the strategy. The humans came up with the AI, they gave it the formula, and it just relied on brute force and an enormous uh, series of tools given to it by humans. AlphaGo made its own strategy. AlphaGo, while it has an enormous amount of processing power, is playing a game that cannot be solved by brute force and there's just not enough big enough universe and uh it is it is it made its own strategy it taught itself and that's part of what makes it so revolutionary awesome uh i wanted actually before we go any further is there anything you want to plug uh or promote at this point oh god that you didn't if, already promote at the beginning <laughs> if not we'll put it on the if you can't think of anything we'll put it on the uh, website no, down for whatever it depends if, I guess you said a lot of people play magic I'm author of Next Level Magic uh, and a series of books on magic uh, write articles for Star City Games uh, and I got a music album coming out later this year kind of excited about that another another music album but what's it I, called? Uh, I can't it hasn't come out yet oh it's, yeah 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 
But uh, the gathering is on on YouTube. Some of the stuff I did with uh, Bill Bowden. But anyway, um, so it's, it's been a true pleasure. R- reminds Patrick, remind everybody of your full name so that they can look you up. And of course, we'll have this on the website as well. Patrick Chapin. <laughs> All right, and again, we'll have this on the website, thebayesianconspiracy.com. So visit us there. Or you can go to the subreddit uh, slash r the Bayesian conspiracy. Those are those are the two resources. That and the uh, the description in the iTunes download. You can click those links. And we do have a correction from the subreddit. Uh, last episode, or was it two episodes ago now? Uh, we mentioned that uh, Robert Allman was the Nobel Prize winner, deeply religious. Yeah. And uh, there was a brief conjecture that he might be Jehovah's Witness. And no, he's actually Orthodox Jewish. And I and I knew that after we 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 stopped recording, I remembered that it wasn't. I knew I knew I think we knew it was never Jehovah's Witness. We yeah. just knew he was fundamentalist somehow. Yeah. Uh-huh. But yeah. But Robert Allman was a uh, an Orthodox Jew and an old school. Well, no, it, it must be a modern Orthodox. I'm assuming. We do not want to speculate on that right now. If you have any corrections or any comments, please talk about it on the subreddit or on the website. Thank you for joining our conversation. Bye. Bye. Thanks. <laughs>